Well, there goes the glasses. Don't know where the hell they are. Russell. Anyway. Are you okay without your glasses? Are you sure? Well, there's big print on your email, so that's all right. <laughs> Just the, the tireder you get, the longer the week goes on, the more the eyes go. Yeah. But hey, I have coffee here, so that's one thing. That's the most important thing. Listen, Sean, you're in Arizona. Um, every Irish person wants to know one thing about Arizona. How's the weather? Uh, it's cold, Jackie, and it's wet. Would you believe it? We were down here, as well as doing the election stuff, we're trying to do a story about uh, environment and climate change, and they've got the longest drought uh, that they've uh, had recorded down here, 27 years of drought, and it's part of a 1,200-year event, the worst kind of drought that they've had recorded in 1,200 years. And with the luck of RTE, wouldn't you know it, it rained yesterday. Not just a little bit of rain, loads of rain. And then it snowed as we hit into the high ground. Um, So we went through a place called Flagstaff in Arizona, Mm. and it's up quite high, and we had to stop and just get ourselves some extra coats and woolly hats because it was just freezing up there. And today I wake up and discover it's minus eight in Flagstaff. Minus eight. And a brisk two degrees where we are now in Page, right up in the north of the state. So no mosquitoes then? You kind of escaped that, did you? No, mosquitoes are gone now. It's frostbite is what we're worried about. Oh, that's just wonderful. Wonderful. Well, listen, get, let's get to um, our podcast and what we're talking about this week. It is all about American democracy. Why should we care it's being tested? Why should we care that its future is in doubt? After all, deep political turmoil in the United States. It's nothing you knew. The Great Depression cast doubt on the country's economic system. Remember FDR's words, Sean, from the time, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. But the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. American democracy also held firm amid the threat from global totalitarian movements during World War II and the Cold War. And that's what the American founding fathers wanted, to establish a democracy with strong safeguards against tyranny, with checks and balances on different institutions of government. While it's been far from perfect, many countries around the world looked up to American democracy when building new ones, focusing on foundations, on the principles of rule of law, human rights and civil liberties. But things are changing, Sean, aren't they? Yeah, they are changing, Jackie. Uh, I mean, I think some of the issues in American politics are still the same ones. Uh, There's always contest about the institutions themselves, things like the Supreme Court, things like filibusters in Congress, uh, things like how hard it is to get things through the Congress legislation. They've been issues certainly for decades that I've been watching it. And I'm sure the historians will tell us they've gone back into the mists of time uh, as issues as well. But the newer threats that are out there uh, are, I think, real uh, and they have to do with the kind of technologies that are being applied now and the really determined, indeed nasty element that has cropped into politics. There's always been a nasty element in politics. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. There's a lot of unpleasant things get said and have always been said in what were known as the whispering campaigns. But these days, technology has enabled people to do their whispering on uh, social media. And uh, they don't whisper very pretty. Uh, So you've got some very nasty campaigning going on. Uh, You've also got the uh, television advertising, which is relentless, but also the polarization, the will to win. And that's one of the things that uh, is quintessentially American, I guess. The will to win, the desire to win, always looking for the extra percentage in business, in sport, and also in politics. Some people will use 
basically anything that they can to get that little 1%, 2% advantage. And I think we're seeing that now in the politics, uh, being played out in the politics. And as always, there's a reaction and then there's a, a counter-reaction and then you find an equilibrium somewhere in the middle. Uh, we're not sure we found the equilibrium yet, though. Yeah, a piece I found interesting about this is from American journalist David Leonhardt from the New York Times. He recently wrote that there are two distinct threats to American democracy and the midterms will determine where the country goes from here. I think there are more than two, but I think these two are very interesting. The first threat, he says, a growing movement who refuse to accept the 2020 presidential election results. Some of these people are running for office during these midterm elections, meaning they would oversee future elections and it could put them in the position to overturn an election in 2024 and beyond. This could mean that the concept of free and fair elections will be no more in the United States. The second threat, he says, is the power to set government policy is becoming increasingly disconnected from public opinion. Just look at recent Supreme Court decisions. They've been unpopular, but the Supreme Court, dominated by Republican appointees, seem poised to shape American politics for possibly even decades to come. Senators are also unable to pass bills due to the filibuster, while in the House, it doesn't always reflect the popular will due to the way districts are drawn. Very, very valid points there, but I think it could only be scratching the surface, Sean, isn't it? It is, Jackie. I mean, this is a vast and complex country. And I mean, we talked about the the vast and complex climate, even just in one state. But uh, politically, socially, uh, it is a vast and complex place as well. And there are always lots of elements in play. And I guess the genius of the American system is that it's managed to keep all those elements in play and allow the kind of contests to play out and still come through with an intact polity. Now, it is endemic in the American system. It's part of the DNA of the system to worry about the future of the system. And I think the founding fathers probably intended it that way, to keep the democracy vital, to keep people engaged and thinking about it all of the time. But as we were talking earlier, you have these very determined forces trying to gain the uh, the upper hand in the political system and the general elections here that happen every two years the mill never stops. So it's always politics on all of the time. And because they're looking for that advantage, uh, it does get harder and harder and harder, nastier and nastier and nastier to get that uh, advantage. Also, we've seen in some of the polling, the deep polling that's gone on over many decades, trying to discern what the American people are thinking. We're seeing less and less agreement uh, between the two big party coalitions, uh, the Democrats and the Republicans. Back in the 70s, when Pew uh, Research started doing a lot of these deep dive uh, research surveys, they found quite a lot of commonality on areas between Republican and Democrat voters. But over the decades, that commonality has eroded and the two groups have been moving further and further apart. And that division within the society is being reflected in the politics as well. The public are not talking to one another in the ways that they used to. They're not agreeing with one another in the ways they used to. And their political champions are reflecting that. Uh, They're not talking to each other and they're not agreeing with each other as much as they used to in the past. Yeah, because when we hear President Joe Biden talking about democracy being at risk and it being on the ballot, Americans are hearing two very different things. Our foreign desk colleague, Gail Conway, is here to tell us more. Gail, what are the polls saying about people's feelings about American democracy? 
Well, Jackie, the polls are saying and have consistently been saying that American people feel that democracy is in trouble. So look at the stats. In January, one year after the Capitol attacks, an NPR Ipsos poll found 64% believed democracy was in crisis and at risk of failing. Um, Fast forward to August or September this year and a poll by Quinnipiac University found 69% of Democrats and 69% of Republicans said that democracy was in danger of collapse. Yeah, they're all saying the same thing. The majority yeah. of Americans believe that democracy is in, da- in danger of collapse. That's right. And actually, very few appear to believe that democracy is working. An Associated Press NORC poll published early October found only around 9% of all US adults um, believe that democracy in the US is working extremely or very well, while 52% feel it's not working at all. And Gail, for those people who vote Democrat, what are the issues that they are most concerned about in this idea of threats to democracy. From what I've seen, Sean, they would blame Donald Trump and his MAGA Republicans. Um, One poll said Trump was the biggest threat at 84%. And it's likely they believe blocking a Republican return to power is needed to safeguard American democracy. Whereas having someone like Trump return could fundamentally harm the governing system. Now, the concerns would also include election fraud and election deniers. And they might also feel the need to overhaul the Supreme Court and to preserve constitutional rights, for example, access to abortion. So for those who vote Republican, why do they think that democracy is under threat then? Well, one poll found four in five Republicans said mainstream media and Biden were a major threat. Um, It's reported almost half of Republicans have little or no faith in the integrity of the electoral process. So you're looking at electronic voting and mailing systems. And they also view removing Donald Trump from office and seeking to to prevent him running again the failed impeachment trials, the civil and criminal investigations into the former president and his businesses all as a threat. So despite everything we've discussed here, one poll also found that 69% do trust that the electoral results will be accurate. So the good news is that deeply divided Americans agree on at least one thing. The bad news is that they disagree drastically about who or what is threatening it. That's right. (laughs) Listen, Gail, thank you so much for that. What has really sparked this conversation about the future of democracy is what happened on January 6th, 2021, the attack on the United States Capitol and what has happened since then. The January 6th committee has been investigating what happened that day in 2021 and how it happened, who was involved, etc. What has that told us about American democracy, Sean? Well, the event itself was unprecedented, Jackie. I mean, I watched it in London and uh, I, I just couldn't believe it. Uh, it was one of the most shocking things I've yeah. seen. I had COVID uh, at the time, it, actually, and I thought I was hallucinating from my COVID. This was pre-vaccine. I was so sick. I remember watching it on the TV going, what on earth is going on here? Yeah, exactly. What on earth? The last place you expected to see a mob surging into the parliament building Uh, was Washington, D.C., a a solid democracy, and yet there it was. So that was a shocking event, certainly for all the rest of us around the world who were looking in, and that example of American democracy being besmirched in the way it was. I don't know uh, how well or badly that has played uh, here in the United States. I think a lot of people were shocked by it, but then the politics has become quite shocking, and I think it takes quite a lot to shock people in this country. I mean, look at the issue of uh, gun violence. The school massacres were coming up on the, the 10th anniversary of Sandy Hook. 
uh, everybody thought then, surely something must change here. But no, nothing has changed. The entrenched positions are still entrenched. So perhaps the storming of the capital falls into that category. Everybody agrees, yes, it was pretty dreadful, pretty awful, uh, but there's nothing we can do about it. So on we go. And it might well be the case that the January 6th committee, despite its uh, rather uh, brilliant presentation, in my view, I mean, I've sat through a lot of kind of parliamentary committees and inquiries in my time. They've done this one rather well, presenting the findings as they go along, rather than just having daily uh, evidence sessions, which I think people will get lost in the detail. Here they've been presenting the detail in easily digestible elements. President Trump did not fail to act during the 187 minutes between leaving the ellipse and telling the mob to go home. He chose not to act. Why were we alarmed? Right. Uh, the president wanted to lead tens of thousands of people to the Capitol. We have a clear thought if we move quickly. He didn't say not to do anything to the congressman. <laughs> His refusal to condemn the violence was indefensible. And yet, and yet, we're seeing people who were in the crowd that day uh, at the Capitol on January 6th, on the ballot paper today for the elections that are happening on uh, November the 8th, people who are seeking public office and who are doing really, really well in the polls. So perhaps it didn't have the shocking effect here in America that it had overseas. Mm. And that rhetoric about election 2020 being stolen is, as you said, it's filtering into these elections. Donald Trump has been endorsing certain Republicans since the primary days, and many of them are 2020 election deniers. I think I saw on CBS News today that they did some research, and more than half of GOP candidates in these midterm elections are election deniers from 2020. How are they polling, and, and what political impact could they have if they are elected? depends on the state. I mean, in some places they're polling rather well, and uh, it also depends on the position that they're going for. This term election denier is a rather broad brush. Uh, it can cover people who simply said, yeah, I think there are questions to answer about the way those elections were conducted, to people who've been actively uh, trying to uh, undermine the results uh, of the elections. Now, uh, here in Arizona, uh, we have one such person, a guy called Mark Fincham, uh, right from the get-go, even before January 6th, he was uh, uh, raising all kinds of doubts and questions about the uh, validity of the poll in Arizona. This entire J6 crap was manufactured to create a narrative that there was an assault on the Capitol. This fits into the Marxist ideology of how do you go to one party rule? He ended up hosting uh, a, well, he called it an inquiry, uh, a trial uh, about the uh, the conduct of the investi of the uh, elections here. He had Ruli Giuliani come down and give uh, his version of events and what happened. Tried to uh, really undermine the credibility of the elections here uh, and the process of selecting um, electors from the electoral college. That's this false uh, set of uh, electors to be sent up to Washington for Mike Pence to. Uh, certify on January the 6th and then was there outside the Capitol. Mm. He's been filmed, uh, film of him wandering around the grounds of the Capitol in a big black cowboy hat. Uh, he's on the poll to be the Secretary of State here in Arizona. That is a pivotal position in the elections because the Secretary of State actually organizes the elections, determines what goes onto the ballot paper, 
what type of machines are used, if any, how votes are counted, who gets who is eligible to vote, and also certifies the outcome of the election. So if he wins uh, in uh, next week, then uh, he will be in charge of the presidential election in 2024, somebody who is not just an election denier, but a really, really active uh, election denier. Uh, he's also now, in the past two weeks, started denying that he was ever a member of the Oath Keepers group, but he's certainly been very closely associated with that uh, rather sinister organisation uh, whose members were themselves filmed breaching the Capitol building in tactical gear. Yeah, it's just fascinating stuff. Sean, I've been speaking with Republican Congressman David Joyce. He's currently serving as the representative for Ohio's 14th congressional district since 2013 about this, about American democracy. While he told me that people are focused on the economy and inflation during this election, people should be concerned about American democracy. And this is what he had to say. I think it's very important that we continue to focus on making government work. I'm not one of those who you know, I believe that President Biden was elected on and I voted for uh, that day for uh, the votes to be counted mm-hmm. through the Electoral College. And, you know, I voted for the first January 6th commission because I, I believe that there should be a thorough review and everybody who's responsible be held accountable. And uh, those were crimes that were being committed uh, that day. And one thing that uh, the January 6th committee itself uh, unfortunately, morphed into something that became more political. And uh, while they've come up with a lot of information, I don't think people view it as seriously as if it would have been an independent commission, uh, free of all politicians, and down with the people who actually you know, could measure the situation with the appropriate uh, seriousness that it deserves. Because mm, with, with all the evidence that we've seen coming from that January 6th committee, has your opinion about Donald Trump changed? Because I know you voted no on the first and second impeachment of Donald Trump. Do you regret that second vote now after seeing all the evidence that has come from January 6th? Well, that's one of the reasons I voted no, is because I thought it was a rush to judgment at that point. I mean, as a former prosecutor, I believe that uh, you have to make a case Mm. and you don't just grasp at straws. And and certainly uh, there's been a strong case made that, uh, you know, what that he certainly had an understanding that, you know, something was gone wrong that day and didn't step up to do anything about it. However, there also was a strong case to be made that uh, this was predictable and that there should have been uh, the National Guard and forces in place to protect the Capitol and never allow this to happen in the first place. Do you think that was, you know, that day, January 6th, you were there? Was that when things kind of came to a boiling point, especially as we have this conversation surrounding uh, American democracy? Well, you know, I, I viewed it as a very sad day for democracy and a sad representation of our country. And I've been one who always said, that, you know, we're a nation of laws. And we, we need to stand up and, and the law says X. And, and, you know, that day we were doing X. And these people thought somehow in their craziness that they were going to stop that. I think democracy as a whole is strong. I think you know, what we have to do is remember that we all you know, let's share the one, one nation, one planet. We all need to work together to better society for all of us. And that no one here has more rights than anyone else. We're all the same. And so uh, we breathe the same air, we, we pump the same blood, and we need to look around and, and start to see each other as uh, friends and countrymen once again. 
Congressman David Joyce there. That was only a snippet from the interview. And I think what we're going to do, Sean, is put that full interview up as a bonus episode for this weekend um, so people can have a full listen to that. Uh, Sean, you are in Arizona at the moment, as we were talking earlier. According to one journalist, Arizona was and has continued to be the nexus of efforts by former President Donald Trump and his Republican allies to overturn the 2020 election. Tell us more. Yeah, I mean, Arizona was a key state in the 2020 election. It was the the tipping point uh, at which the election started to slide from Donald Trump uh, into Joe Biden as the results were being declared uh, state by state, or at least the early uh, indications were. And the absolute tipping point came when Fox News, which is very well disposed towards the Republican Party, uh, the uh, pollster, the electoral analyst, uh, there called Arizona for the Democrats, for Biden. And uh, President Trump was not at all pleased with that. A few weeks later, that uh, political expert was fired by Fox. And um, this state was the one that he thought he was going to get the, the uh, Electoral College voters from, and that would give him the momentum on the night and carry him over the line. But when it started to go wrong, here is where it started to go wrong. But also here was where the election denialism was extremely strong because I think it was so tight. In the end, it was a little over 10,000 votes separated Trump from Biden. And, uh, you know, 10,000 in a country this size is not uh, a big winning margin at all. Uh, But it's still a winning margin. And it triggered all kinds of inquiries. We mentioned the one by Mark Fincham and Rudy Giuliani. Uh, After the election, when the results were certified, it didn't stop. There was... uh, a full audit done on all the voting papers because everything here is done on paper. It's counted electronically, which is, uh, they say, much more accurate than human counting, but the ballot forms are still there. They're still kept uh, so that they can be recounted, and they were recounted, and then they were checked, and then a Florida-based consulting firm uh, with Republican leanings was contracted to do a full audit on the election. They came in, and after months of digging around, found, well, no, there was nothing wrong with the voting here. The uh, Attorney General has been investigating literally every ballot form used in that election. Out of the two and a half million voters in Maricopa County alone, the the area around Phoenix, uh, they found 12 suspect dodgy forms or actual hard cases where people had impersonated somebody else's vote. So, you know, 12 votes would not overturn Biden's 10,000 winning uh, margin. So the election was clean, but it took them two years to find all that information out, by which stage we're now into the midterm election. And a lot of the people who are are running in this election are are election deniers. It's not just uh, Mr. Fincham at Secretary of State. It's Carrie Lake. Anybody who was involved in that corrupt, shady, shoddy election of 2020, lock them up. Uh, a lot about her highly recently. likely to win the, the, to become the governor of this state the way things are going uh she has uh, been very strong in uh, saying that the elections were suspect here as blake masters running for the senate he initially uh was saying that the election was suspect in 2020 but uh has now relented and said yes joe biden actually did win the election but i guess he counts in that election denier category because if you've said it once on the record, somewhere along the line, uh, you get put into that particular uh, basket of, of being an election denier. But still, he was open to this uh, notion 
that Biden didn't win the the election here. Uh, so there's also for the Attorney General uh, on the Republican slate an election denier. So for the four big jobs that are on the ballot here in this state, all of them uh, have at, at the very least questioned the outcome of the 2020 election and in the case of three of them just don't accept it. So let's try and understand where they are coming from. A man who is a fan of Carrie Lake, who you just mentioned there, his name is Tim Murtaugh and he's former director of communications for Donald Trump's 2020 re-election campaign. And Sean, we spoke to him this week and this is what he had to say. I think that was a motorbike by you, Sean. Okay. That's what happens when you're out and about as a journalist. Uh, So Tim Murtaugh, former director of communications for Donald Trump's re-election campaign. Thank you so much for joining us on States of Mind. Uh, And it's great to talk to you again, Tim. We had another West of Ireland man on the programme earlier, Republican Congressman David Joyce. So the West of Ireland is well represented on the programme today. Sorry about that, Sean. (laughs) Well, I'm happy to be with you. Thank you very much. Yes, and you were just saying you have a gorgeous picture of the Cliffs of Moher behind you as well. So the Irish connections are strong there. Tim, when, when I spoke to you the last time back in 2020, you were in the middle of it all as Director of Communications for Donald Trump's re-election campaign. Just before we go into, I suppose, the now with these midterm elections, how do you reflect on your time in that role, especially with what followed after that election? Donald Trump casting doubt on the election results, and then January 6th? Uh, Well, I was on the Trump campaign for two years, actually, 24 months almost exactly. And uh, it was the best job I've ever had. I've been been involved in politics for a long time. I was a reporter first, a a local TV reporter in Virginia, here where I live. Uh, This is a long time ago now. Uh, But in 1999, uh, I stopped covering politics and uh, jumped the fence, as it were, and uh, joined up and and, uh, started working in politics. Now, my former colleagues from from the press corps uh, would say that I went and joined the dark side by jumping the fence and actually starting to work for candidates. Uh, but uh, that's what I've been doing for the last 23 years. And, and um, you know, I, I think it's 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 what I know. And I think I'll continue doing it for a while. But the, the Trump campaign was really uh, a, a singular experience, I think. Uh, I think it has to be considered the most watched political campaign in world history. Uh, I don't think that's an exaggeration, the 2020 uh, U.S. presidential election. And to have been uh, right there uh, in the middle of it as communications director for two entire years, uh, it was really quite an experience and, and one that I don't think that I'll, I'll ever replicate. It's unlike any any campaign that anyone um, in any country, I think, has mm. ever seen. And I know we're, we're here to talk about the midterms, but we have to look forward to 2024 as well. Do you think your former boss is going to run again? And if yes, would, would you go and work for him? again? Well, I tell you what, I, having done uh, a presidential campaign as a member of the staff, uh, I'm not sure that I would that I would do that again for any presidential <laughs> candidate. <clears throat> I, I'm, what I'm doing now is I'm, I'm consulting with a lot of candidates. And if President Trump were to run again in 2024, uh, I would certainly support him. Tim, it's Sean here down in Arizona. Um, we're talking about President Trump possibly going again in 24. What about a potential running mate for vice president from down here, Carrie Lake. What do you make of her? 
Well, I think Carrie Lake is a fantastic candidate, and I think she is going to be the next governor of Arizona. And I'm I'm not going to get involved in any speculation uh, as to what the Republican field is going to look like. I mean, I just told you that I think that Donald Trump will run again. Uh, but as far as who else runs and who Trump or anyone else picks for his running mate, uh, I'm not going to get into that speculation. I think first things first, you know, Carrie Lake is not yet the governor of Arizona. I think she soon will be. But then to talk about what she or anyone else is going to do in in 2024 when we we simply don't know, uh, I, I, I think doesn't doesn't really help anybody. I think she would be great. Make no mistake about that. And I think that she is going to be a great governor for Arizona. But how all that shakes out in 2024, it's not really my place to say. Well, all that kind of talk probably does help her in terms of creating the buzz. Uh, and because here we are, just a few days from polling day. Uh, but. You know, what do you make of the the scene down here in Arizona, though? Because it was a pivotal state last time out. And I'd love to hear your uh, insights into that moment when Fox News called it for Biden. But that fight has never gone away down here. And here we are with Mark Fincham running to be Secretary of State, Carrie Lake running to be governor, both of them saying Donald Trump won. Yeah, well, listen, I, I'm involved in a lot of different races around the country in the 2022 cycle. I'm involved in uh, Wisconsin and Wyoming and uh, Alaska and Michigan. I have previously been involved in Pennsylvania. And I can tell you, and like based on just the way of the conversation that we're having here now, uh, a lot of the media in America and, and clearly elsewhere are still uh, I think, litigating what happened in 2020. But the candidates that I work for now who are running in federal and state races in 2022, when they go door to door and when they conduct uh, opinion polls to see where the race is and what voters are caring about, let me tell you, the, the 2020 election just does not come up. Uh, the only people who seem to be talking about it a lot are the national news media and, and I think, obviously, some of the international news media. What candidates hear about from voters this year is the economy. Crime is on the rise. Crime in cities, the murder rate uh, in Detroit. I'm working for Tudor Dixon, uh, who is running for governor of Michigan, and uh, the, Detroit is the second most dangerous city in the United States. That's what people care about. No one is obsessing about the 2020 election uh, except, the, by my judgment, the news media. But should people be concerned about what happened in 2020, especially what happened on January 6th? Should, should this be coming up at the doors and attention should be brought to it, especially when you have election deniers like Carrie Lake, who you were talking about there, also somebody who was making fun of that attack on Paul Pelosi over the weekend, should we be concerned about the level of election denying out there and what impact that could have on future elections, but also the impact it could have on American democracy, too? Well, listen, I think if you're going to ask about candidates who are election deniers, and I think you should uh, paint it with a, a broader brush. How about Stacey Abrams, who is running again for uh, governor of Georgia? And she has yet to admit that she got beaten for that same uh, office in 2018. For years, she denied that she lost that election, and she was championed by the media. And heck, she's a, a bigger celebrity in Democrat circles now uh, for having lost that election and claimed that she didn't. Hillary Clinton claimed that the 2016 election was stolen from her. You have Democrat members of the January 6th committee 
who voted against certifying previous elections that were won by Republicans. So, you know, we get a little bit tired of hearing about, oh, this candidate is an election denier and that one is too, when these prominent Democrats who did exactly the same thing are never, never mentioned in that conversation. And uh, look, first I should say, no violence is acceptable. No political violence is acceptable. January 6th was a terrible day. And the people who broke the law, the people who trespassed, who destroyed property and committed acts of violence, uh, those people should be held accountable. And in most cases, they are. We don't hear the same level of concern uh, for the attack on Congressman Steve Scalise at the Republican baseball practice when he was shot and nearly killed by a Bernie Sanders supporter who went to that field that day to kill Republican members of Congress. So un until these things are all treated with the same level of seriousness, it's all a very one-sided and a very selective conversation, if you ask me. But, Tim, uh, I kind of disagree with you when you say it's all the media uh, fixation. And, yes, I do agree it is a Democrat fixation uh, because, yes, they are covering up uh, or not talking about the incidences which you uh, have spoken about there, where they challenged electoral uh, outcomes. So I think that was more to do with uh, Comey and the FBI in the case of Hillary Clinton rather than the actual mechanics well, of no, voting. We can go all the way back thousand, if you want, and Al Gore versus George W. Bush. I still Indeed, see the hanging chads. Yeah. We'll I mean, never I still forget see them. bumper stickers about that saying that George Bush was selected, not elected. And that was 22 years ago. And there are a lot of Democrats who are still hung up about that and still won't ever recognize that George W. Bush was the legitimate president of the United States. And so until these things are treated uh, the same way, it's, it's very difficult to take seriously all the caterwauling from the media about the 2020 election, because they've never right. had concerns with people expressing similar sentiments uh, in previous elections when it was Republicans who won those elections. Okay, Tim, I, I'm down in uh, Maricopa County, and we're going in this morning to uh, meet the folks who are running the elections. They have got all kinds of videos uh, up on YouTube, on their official sites, explaining how the system here works, how the counting machines are not connected to the internet, how nobody can interfere with it, because there is a pretty sizable chunk of the electorate here who think that the actual mechanics of voting itself is rigged, is dodgy, is open to abuse. Uh, and that seems to me uh, to be a new thing uh, here in American politics. Uh, I've covered uh, elections in more than a dozen countries in Europe uh, some of them fairly interesting, spicy kind of places like Hungary, for example, or Italy. Never seen that kind of challenge to the mechanics of the election itself. Whatever about challenging uh, the outcomes or not accepting outcomes, it's the mechanics of voting uh, that's under challenge now. And I think that is new and it is different. Well, and you're you getting pushback from the officials here who are saying they're being intimidated by people. You must not have been paying attention in the early 2000s here when it was the Democratic obsession with the company called Diebold who make voting machines. So no, this is this is not this is not new. Yes, there are legitimate concerns with what happened in 2020. Pennsylvania, for example, 1.6 million people voted by mail in their new uh, the first time they used it their mail-in voting law. After the election, a court in Pennsylvania ruled that that law was unconstitutional. In Wisconsin, their drop boxes were ruled uh, illegal. Uh, you have Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of now Meta, formerly the CEO of, of Facebook. Meta is Facebook's parent company, of course. He spent $300 million <clears throat> taking over 
local elections offices in Democrat precincts all across this country, driving up voter turnout in Democrat precincts. Those are not conspiracies. Those are not things that people are worried about in an unfounded manner. Those are things that actually happen. Courts ruling laws unconstitutional after the fact. And we don't know what the impact was of Mark Zuckerberg and his $300 million that he used to drive up turnout in Democrat cities across this country. Those things are facts. But again, when candidates go door to door and when voters are telling the news media and pollsters what they care about, the 2020 election really doesn't register. It's all things that are happening to them and their families today. And that's why Democrats are in big trouble in the House, certainly, uh, and probably in the Senate and in governor's races all across this country. Tim, very briefly, um, how does your country come back together? How do Republicans and Democrats start working together. It just seems like a long shot at the moment. Well, I mean, again, I, I, I don't I don't know that this is a new phenomenon. Political polarization has existed for a long time. If you if you look back at some of the historical historical documents in the newspapers at the time, from when the, our founding fathers were still alive and and holding office and running for office, those are some of the most vicious political fights that anyone could possibly imagine. In some cases, far worse than they were today. And throughout the 1980s. I know that I know for a lot of Democrats, they, they always wax uh, nostalgic for re certain Republicans after they have passed on. Uh, a lot of people had nice words to say about Ronald Reagan, for example, when, when he died a number of years back. But while he was president, they hated his guts. Uh, it's not it's not as though, you know, before Donald Trump came along, everyone got along. Oh, we just disagreed on policy. But at the end of the day, we were all friends. That's that's just not how it was. And I'm, and I'm, I'm afraid that people are misremembering history because, you know, uh, partisanship and people taking sides and, and uh, having having political differences be uh, dividing um, in communities and, and in cities and states across the country. It's, it's not really new. Tim Murta, former director of communications for Donald Trump's re-election campaign. Thank you so much for joining us on States of Mind. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Sean, interesting points Tim Murtaugh had to make there. And we don't hear those points that often, do we, about Democrats like Stacey Abrams not conceding election in 2018 to governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp. And also Hillary, Hillary Clinton claims that uh, the 2016 election was stolen from her. It's fascinating to hear his point of view, isn't it? It is, but in all of those cases, those uh, people... They, they went away. Uh, they didn't keep after it. They didn't turn uh, set up a movement to try and relitigate the 2020 election or their previous elections that they were involved in and then try and cast forward into the next election. So this is qualitatively and quantitatively completely different to those individual cases uh, that uh, he spoke about there. But I, I guess he's right uh, to some extent that the media is uh, fascinated by this issue of election denial, uh, is perhaps uh, going on about it rather a lot, certainly more than the Republicans would uh, like us to be uh, doing. And that's always the case in politics. Uh, if the media are reporting facts that you find inconvenient, you attack the media. Uh, they're all, he's also right, I think, in saying that the economy is the big issue here. Mm. All of the polling has shown uh, inflation and the economic outlook to be the two big issues that people are concerned about. Uh, the threat to democracy uh, is a poor third in that race uh, and abortion figures uh, near in the, the, the back of the field. And they are the two issues that the Democrats are, are fighting hard on. 
and trying to distinguish themselves on because when you are the incumbent and the economy is going bad and we've got double digit inflation here for the first time in decades that's you know about the worst circumstances you can imagine to be an incumbent fighting an election on so you will try and emphasize anything anything other than the state of the economy uh, and so the question of uh, election denialism and the danger to democracy is the big pushback from the Democrats. Uh, so you put it in that context, you can kind of understand it. But whilst we've had inflation before, and we'll have inflation again in the future, questions about the fundamentals of American democracy, that is new, and that one does need to be thrashed out in this election and beyond. Well, listen, Sean, next time we speak, it'll be um, post-election. Hopefully we will have some results in that we can look through and analyse. So, yeah, will you, will you be in Washington or will you be elsewhere for those results? Well, we thought we were going to be elsewhere. Uh, the editors, the powers that be in RT have decided <gasps> no, stick to the federal <laughs> capital. So we'll be in D.C., kind of where the action isn't, because obviously there's no seats in D.C., so there's nobody being elected uh, from the district, but uh, everywhere else in the country will be in play. And as you say, we will have yep. results, or at least provisional results, uh, this time next week. Uh, the electron people always tell us the results are not the results until every last ballot paper is counted, and that will take some time. And you can bet that there's going to be challenges to this one. Absolutely guarantee it. Absolutely. We'll get our game face on for next week, Sean. Listen, I'll chat to you then. Thanks, Jackie. See ya.